Again, really glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we, Dave did a great job of explaining the context in which, if you're new, that uh, we find ourselves of, of working together, being better together. And so we are, we've been doing a, a brief three-week series uh, called Life Together. I'm going to finish that up today. Uh, the purpose of Tall Grass at the Well is to create community together by inviting everyone into the way of Jesus. And so we've been talking through Acts chapter 2, the last section specifically of Acts chapter 2, about the normal rhythms and, and life patterns that the early church found themselves in, uh, following in the way of Jesus. And we've been looking at how we can uh, replicate that in our own lives, how we have been invited into that by the Holy Spirit, and, and we could, um, in that sense, be a part of that ethos of community Today, I want to talk about something I think that should be pretty simple for us, uh, radically ordinary hospitality. But when we talk about hospitality, and we even talk about radically ordinary hospitality, we're confronted with an issue that's not unique to us here at Tallgrass at the Well, not unique to necessarily even our, our, our city or our area here, but that many people in our culture, in our day, are are having trouble trying to figure out. Henry Nouwen, I think, puts his finger on it. He says this, our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do harm. Now, here's the thing. If you know anything about Henry Nouwen, he wrote that in like the 70s or 80s before Twitter. Isn't that incredible? Like how prophetic this is that he, like, he didn't even know how bad it could really get for, for, for us. He continues, but still, that is our vocation to convert the enemy into a guest and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. Our, our problem is that we're trying to invite people to gather in a time where we're suspicious of both strangers and friends, and we're hyper-vigilant against things that contradict our mental maps or the way that we see the world. We're hyper-vigilant against anybody presenting a, a, a different side or, or saying that we're wrong, and so we keep people at, at arm's length because we, in, in Nowen's words, are expecting an enemy to show up at, at any turn. So what do we do with this problem? How do we, as followers of Jesus, create that space to turn enemies into friends? How do we possibly speak in a, a divided age, unity and love and kindness? So a few years ago, there was a college student named Derek Black who seemed on the surface like any other student on campus. But his dark secret was that he was the heir apparent to the white nationalist movement in America because his parents before him had been deeply involved and basically were setting him up to take on that mantle. He would sneak out of his dorm in the middle of the night and go and record this, this radio show that would foment fear and hatred all over the country. But what he didn't, didn't know were, well, was that his, his uh, actions were being tracked by a group of students and soon they actually outed him and, and removed the veil of who he really was. And so his life as he knew it was over. Uh, a thousand messages later, it was really clear that he was no longer welcome on campus. 
So shortly after that, a friend, uh, a classmate from his freshman year reached out to him and invited him over uh, for a meal. His name was Matthew Stevenson, and he was the only Orthodox Jew on campus. And the meal was a Jewish Shabbat on Friday nights. He hosted to help people understand his culture and his religion. So Derek decided that instead of being hated uh, by himself, he would go and sit across from his enemy. But Friday after Friday and meal after meal, uh, he began to, to find himself opened up to Matthew's way of life, his views, and his, his uh, perspective. And so his heart slowly melted. Uh, the same people, and, and, and he, had, he had just found himself really longing and, and wanting to be in the midst of these people he had previously dismissed. He later renounced white supremacy altogether and wrote extensively to apologize for his, for his views. So a Jew, a white supremacist, and a regular meal provided a way forward into a no, new identity for this young man. It kind of sounds like a joke, right? A Jew, a, a white nationalist, and a Shabbat meal. So similarly, if we can get our hearts and our minds around that kind of approach, we will find a lot of similarities between the way of Jesus. This is what Jesus did throughout his ministry. He invited people to sit together to talk about the kingdom of God, and, and Jesus welcomed people as friends who were, who were shunned and on the margins of society, and he would correct Little by little, perspectives on the kingdom of God, who is welcome at God's table, who is welcome in God's kingdom. And in fact, over appetizers and flowing drinks, as you do, uh, many times it was his dinner company that got him in trouble with the religious elites. But he never allowed that to stop uh, him from extending invitations and crashing parties sometimes. Like Jesus showed up at people's houses and were like, let's eat. And I love that about Jesus, that you know, we often sometimes uh, uh, say that, that God's a gentleman and he's only gonna come in when invited and we see the, the lifestyle of Jesus going, what's up, me and my 12 buddies are here to eat, what's for supper, right? So here's, here's what it looked like in, in, in Jesus's day for him and, and his followers. Luke uh, chapter 19, verse one, I'm gonna read out of the NIV. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there was uh, by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So if you're reading this immediately, you go, "Uh uh-oh. Oh, no, that's trouble. So he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I must, I love that. It's not like I must visit your house. I must eat at your house. I'm going to stay at your house, right? Uh, so he came down at once and began to welcome him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, if I have cheated, because I have cheated everyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For those at the time, for Jesus to, uh, to enter into the home, let alone sit at the table with a, a tax collector, let alone a chief tax collector was scandalous. 
uh, tax collectors were known to have been, to, or, or were just seen as betraying their Jewish heritage and selling out to the Romans, the Roman occupiers, because what they would do is they worked for the Romans, they would go in and take money, take taxes from Jews, and they would add a, a, a generous portion on top for them. That's why he was wealthy, is because he stole from his fellow Jews. And so no one wanted anything to do with Zacchaeus. Uh, they're at the bottom of the moral social ladder, along with prostitutes. So if you, if you think of those who you want little or nothing to do with in this day and age, depending on where you sit, um, they're the people that are despised the most. It might be a, a Proud Boy or Antifa, ISIS, someone like that, or maybe a Canadian, I don't know. Who do you want to be around the least? We love, we love Canadians, we love you guys. We're all about it. Uh, who do you want to be around the least? That's who Jesus invited to dinner. So add to this, the meals in their culture were of supreme importance, very different from our own. And, and our culture, it's, it's about fast and, and easy. It's all about HelloFresh and minimal, and I love HelloFresh by the way, but it's all about minimal preparation and minimal work. It, you can do it quick and easy and cheap. And if you run out of time, you can order from Domino's or, or go through the drive-thru. And it's, we literally have places that, that are called in and out which is delicious, by the way, but they're literally called in and out because that's our culture, that's our value. And their culture, very, very different. To have a meal with someone, to invite someone into your home. Uh, pastor and, and author John Mark Homer has, has done some work around this and, and has taught on this practice that they called table fellowship. And it was a sacred event. Centuries before Jesus, Israel was conquered by her enemies and dragged off into foreign nations. They had no centralized temple to go and visit. So what they had to do was take the Jewish practice and, and, and make it relevant to their homes, their everyday life. And so because Jews were, were scattered, the rabbis reoriented the worship uh, to, the, to center on the family table. Their home was the new temple and their understanding. The table was the new altar, the husband the new priest, and the meal is the new sacrifice. So soon the Pharisees, these ultra-conservative uh, group of people, came along to challenge Israel in her faithfulness to God. They said that because sin had brought on God's discipline, because they were, they were scattered because of their disobeying uh, God's commands, deliverance would only come through a renewed faithfulness and a purging of sin. They believed that if all of Israel were to practice the law perfectly for one day, the Messiah would come back and would cast out the, the, the Romans and bring Israel back into her golden age, to her glory days. So everyone had to keep the law perfectly, which absolutely meant no Gentiles could be at your table, no sinners could be at your table, because you had to follow it perfectly for God to bless the nation once again. So all this under, helps us to understand why from their perspective, a Torah observant rabbi would ever be caught dead in the home of someone like Zacchaeus. But Jesus consistently upset the status quo. That was never a command from God, that was a made up tradition. And so he goes, hey, by the way, that's made up. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not beholden to that. I'm totally gonna flip the table on that and welcome anyone and everyone I want to at my table. Jesus upset the status quo and threw open God's welcome to everyone, irrespective of their history. Scott Barchi says this, uh, he's a New Testament scholar. He's, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century of our era. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment 
Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom one had shared the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. So when everyone in his culture used meals as a boundary marker of who is in and who is out, Jesus used meals to declare God's great welcoming. Through Jesus, God was inviting people to come just as they were to taste of the reconciliation he was offering in this new covenant. And and what I want you to see is how the early church continued this practice. What we see here in Acts chapter 2 didn't exist just in a vacuum. It was a continuation of Jesus' way, of his lifestyle, of of his uh, wanting to welcome everyone to the table. So Acts chapter 2, this is our text that we've been reading through over the last couple weeks. Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see the the connection there between opening their homes, opening their tables to those, not just in the community of faith, but also those who were from the outside, those Jews and those Gentiles that were turning towards God. The connection here is between the table fellowship and those who God was saving. There's a deep connection because they're walking out God's great welcome. And so to key in on their responsibility, because they could never add daily those who were being saved on their own. That wasn't their job. It wasn't their job to convince people of the way of Jesus. It was to show them there is a better way from from the life that you were living. There is a better way to be reconciled to, to God and then to each other. So they broke bread in homes, and they maintained glad and sincere hearts, and they worshiped God. That was their responsibility. They continued with gladness, sincerity, they welcomed people in homes, and they worshiped. That's what they did. That was their practice. And because they did that, God opened hearts, God opened minds, and God added to their numbers. Then they had a missional impact because of the table fellowship and the worship that was going on as a regular habit in their lives. So could it be that our missional impact for the kingdom has been hampered in this country, in in our city, in our age, because at our base, we've been taught, we're being taught continuously that it's simply good and right to surround ourselves with only people who think like us. Have we hampered our impact because we look more like the culture around us than we do Jesus and the early church? Because our culture says only surround yourselves with people who already agree with you. And Jesus did the exact opposite of that, where he welcomed strangers and outcasts and outsiders to eat with him, to fellowship with him, to befriend him. Could it be that we're more formed by the politics of outrage and the divisiveness of anger than the simple way of Jesus that opens our homes to those who are not connected to God? So as we talk about eating and drinking missionally, 
right? We, we are on the mission of God. We are, we are sent out and we're sharing God's love with those around us. So as we talk about eating and drinking missionally, this highlights a connective concept for us. Hospitality. Hospitality comes from the Greek word, which literally means love of stranger, xenophilia. You, you may know the, the, the root of this xeno because often we talk about xenophobia, which is the, the fear of the stranger or fear of the outsider. But hospitality in Jesus is the, as, as practiced by Jesus in the early church, demonstrated for us what true hospitality is. Sometimes we, we, well, I would say we often think hospitality is inviting our friends and family over. That's, that's, not, that, that's what would be called fellowship. Hospitality is welcoming people you don't know as well. Those that you wouldn't normally be attracted or, or, or bent towards. Xenophilia literally means love for stranger, immigrant, neighbor, outsider, or guest. Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says this, radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see strangers and neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. Hospitality is first a heart posture that leans into those that we're least comfortable with. It's a posture of loving others that leaks out through tangible acts of sharing and service. And it's commanded over and over and over again in the New Testament. So let's get practical. Like, let's get insanely practical for a moment. Because that sounds good and warm and fuzzy, right? But we go, some of us just go, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know where to start. And if, if you agree with what, what Butterfield says and that our home, our dorm, our apartment, wherever it is that you live, wherever it is that you hang out, is a gift from God, let's just start where we live. And so I, I love showing people this tool called the neighboring tool. And basically what it is, it's just a tic-tac-toe grid with your home right in the middle. And in these eight surrounding squares, I just want you to, to, to think a minute, who are my neighbors? Who are your literal neighbors? Who lives around you? Who do you uh, interact with to some degree? Uh, it, it may not fit perfectly everywhere. Like my house doesn't have eight neighbors around because I live on this weird horseshoe thing and whatever. So you do it to the best of your ability. And if it doesn't work for you, you could think this is my cubicle at work. These, these are my coworkers. Or this is my dorm. This is my dorm floor. This is, this is, I sit at the same place in class every day. So these are the people that sit around me. Whatever it is that works for you, understand God has placed you there for a purpose to make his love known to those around you. So who is around you? So I can tell you stories about my neighbor across the street, Chuck. He's great. He teaches Spanish. Every night he leaves like a foot of his garage door open. So stray cats in the neighborhood have a place, a warm place to sleep and, and have food. 
He's wonderful. I can tell you about Greg and, and soon my next door neighbors who have chickens. I found out one morning at 7 a.m. Um, they were clucking and, and I was waiting for the, the crowing and it never happened. But the clucking from my office in the basement, I could hear them very clearly. I'm like, oh, we have new neighbors. That's wonderful. I hope, hope the neighbors across the street don't meet the neighbors next door anytime soon. So I can tell you about, my, about the relationships that I, that I have and that I need to continue building. For instance, there's a, there's a couple that lives kind of catty-cornered for us, and we just uh, we haven't gotten to know them really well. There's a young married couple, and they're out in their lawn working at, uh, often, doing home improvements, and, and God has been prompting uh, us, Sarah and I, to, to get to know them a little bit better. So who's your neighbor? Who lives around you? And just being aware of who they are is not the end of the story. God has prompted us and is inviting us to get involved in people's lives in a practical way. So oftentimes, especially those who are more introverted like I am, I need help. I need help with small talk. I need help asking open-ended questions. I need help with not being as busy and actually listening to what God is doing in people's lives. Because you know, although your home is a gift and you have been sent, God's activity in people's lives doesn't start when you show up at their door. God is already doing something in people's lives. God's grace has gone before you to prepare them for conversations, to ask for help, to, to wonder, is there a God? And God, could you send proof? For many of us, you're the proof that God exists. You're the Bible that people will read. So there's another tool, and it actually comes from a book called Bless, that I think is just phenomenal. It's a simple way, the subtitle of the book is called Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and to Change the World. And it's an acronym. Uh, this, uh, it stands, and, and I know some of you are either previous or current Baptists, and you'll love your acronyms that mean something, so this is for you. I love you all very much. Um, it stands for begin with prayer. So when, you're, when you've identified your neighbor, and when you've, you've gotten their name, and, and okay, I feel good, first step, Pastor Josh challenged me to do this, so now what do I do? You begin in prayer. Every movement of God has always been born of prayer, and anything that God wants to do in your neighborhood is Going, nothing's going to be different about that. So you begin with prayer. I, I, would, I would maybe draw that tic-tac-toe board, put it on your fridge, put it on somewhere where you're going to see it because your neighbors are not projects. They're people with stories and hopes and dreams and they have a call on their life, on their family. So begin in prayer, asking God to open a, a conversation, to bless them, to prosper them, to, to reveal himself to them. Begin in prayer. And then secondly, listen. Before we say anything about what we want people to do, we first need to listen to what they're saying. And Christians are notorious for answering questions that nobody is actually asking. So we need to actually listen for what God has been doing in their life, for what questions and hopes and dreams they had for their own life. Not to rush in with answers, but to actually just get to know them as people. Again, not as a project, but as a person to love and to get to know and share life with. I actually learned a long time ago that small talk is a ministry. It's a service to somebody to begin, be, begin building initial trust so they, they know you're a safe person to open their heart to. So for some of us, we need to have the, you know, these mingle questions are actually a great place to start where you can take them back to your neighborhood and go, hey, it's fall, y'all. What's your favorite thing about fall? You could totally steal this this approach, and just get to know people around you a bit better. So thirdly, my favorite part of this is eat, is to eat. 
I doubt I need to go further into Jesus' eating habits to convince you about table fellowship. But I just want to say that I think if we were to talk and have a conversation about some of the most meaningful moments in your life, you could trace them at some point back to a table. I, I met my wife in a coffee shop. She doesn't remember it, but I do. But anyway, that's another story for another time. There was a table and there was a beverage and we talked. I remember it, but anyway. <laughs> remember, I remember what we talked about. Uh, anyway, it, I, I just believe this is why at weddings, we eat at funerals, we eat at birthdays, we eat, right? Like food and tables are where life happens. And I would just imagine you've, got, you've all got one of those in your home. You probably have multiple, if not coffee tables and side tables and tray tables and all those sorts of things, right? So eat, invite people over, respond to those invitations, eat. Fourthly, serve. Finding ways to help people build rapport uh, and, and it continues to build trust. It's been said no one cares what you know until they know how much you care. People need to know that you care about them before they ever take your advice or care what you have to say about them. And serving, either, either side by side or serving each other is a great way practically to say, I care. It could be raking leaves, helping with the final you know, lawn maintenance care things until fall really settles in. Whatever it is, Look for that low-hanging fruit of how do I serve this person. Share your story. Finally, preaching the gospel is less about having an airtight apologetic for the resurrection of Jesus, which quite frankly freaks most of us out if that's what uh, preaching the gospel is about. But it's more about sharing your story, about sharing how you, you've been in contact with your own brokenness and you've seen God's mercy shine on you time and time again. It's sharing your story of like, like I just, I came to a fork in the road or, you know, I just, I was expecting God to do this thing and he came through in this other way. It's, no one, no one can, can shine doubt on your story. They, all day long we can debate theology, but your lived experience, no one can, can, can attack that, can push back against that because that is who you are. That is how you've seen God show, show up. So that's it. It's a very simple way to bless your neighbors by doing those five simple things. Tim Chester says this in his book, A Meal with Jesus. This is how Luke describes Jesus' mission strategy. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. We can make community and mission sound like specialized activities that belong to experts. Some people have a vested interest in doing this because it makes them feel extraordinary. Or we focus on dynamic personalities who can hold an audience and lead a movement. Some push mission beyond the scope of ordinary Christians, but the Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's not complicated. True, it's not always easy. It involves people invading your space or going to places where you don't feel comfortable, but it's not complicated. If you share a meal three or four times a week and you have a passion for Jesus, then you will be building up Christian community and reaching out in mission. Now, what I will say is, this can feel sometimes weird and icky. If, you're, if we're thinking about it from the wrong perspective. Christian hospitality isn't networking for Jesus. It's not inviting your neighbors over so you can sell them Tupperware or essential oils or whatever it else that you have. It's not bait and switch. It's not come over to my house and over dessert say, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Like that feels icky, doesn't it? That's not what we're talking about. 
We're, we're talking about seeing people as loved by God and wanting to know them and see how God is moving in their life. And, and still, Jesus was constantly sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. He, he shows us it's about opening up your life and your heart while you welcome in those who might be on the margins of your own life or even on the margins of the kingdom, whether they grew up outside the church or they were hurt by the church and they've just walked away, whether they grew up in the wrong family and had never had any exposure to church or Christianity or what it means to be a Jesus follower. Here's Jesus's approach. Invite them to a meal, put down your phone, and ask them honest questions about their hopes and their dreams and their fears and of their life. Get better at small talk. Guys, we have to get good at small talk, especially, I'm gonna pick on Gen Z just a little bit. Y'all are terrible at this. And you've gotta learn from some of these gray-haired people, maybe gray-bearded people, how to have eye contact, how to ask a question that's open-ended, how to speak confidently, like not, not uh, maybe assertively, like you're not trying to dominate a conversation, but you're trying to hold a conversation with someone. And, and you know, these things can be a, as much of a blessing as they are a curse, but some of us don't know how to do small talk and have conversation because this is the, the sum total of our relationship and our conversation, right? We have to get better at this, not just for your sake or, you know, a career opportunity, but for the sake of the kingdom, we have to learn from each other how to do this. Okay, so let's return to this moment, to the the specific idea of hospitality, because many of us are asking, I'm not really sure I can do it as well as other people, and I'm not even sure, I I, I don't know how to do it when there's this pandemic spike. How, How do we get creative? How do we practice hospitality in our culture right now? So we need to recover this practice of radically ordinary hospitality, ordinary conversation, and ordinary sharing and service to one another. And it's, it's an important to understand what hospitality isn't as much as understand what it is, okay? When many of us read hospitality, we think Martha Stewart with like all the cabinets or, you know, have, the, have fall decor on it and all the perfectly pressed pie crusts and all the candles that are from, you know, all my candles have different heights because they've been, you know, burn at different lengths and whatnot. But like in Martha Stewart's spread, it's all even and it's very, it's just very gauche, very nice, very, very appropriate, right? Or, you know, if you're younger, it's this false spread, this kind of like handcrafted table from reclaimed wood and, you know, like everything's like, has the Edison lights overhead and there's a smattering of these wide brim hats that are neutral colors and it's all very Instagrammable, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about when we talk hospitality. That's more of entertaining. You're entertaining guests at that point. Hospitality is a different way of living because let's be honest, who can actually afford or have the time to entertain? That takes a lot of work and you do it like once a year and after that you're like burned out of entertaining for the next year. You know, until the next day like today, we are like, I'm just gonna have people over to my backyard again. And you kind of get ready for that. Entertaining is prohibitive for us who have kids who need to get to bed or we have limited budgets so I can't go to Kansas City and visit Trader Joe's and buy all the spices. Like entertaining is prohibitive for us that ha- live in the real world and have jobs. Or, you know, you live in your mom's basement or like your roommate won't ever put his shirt on. You know, you just can't entertain that way. And it's never Instagrammable because it's totally inappropriate. So hospitality though, what I want us to get, hospitality from a perspective of Jesus 
and the early church is open and welcoming. No matter who comes, no matter what they bring. No matter if you can, can post it on Instagram or you're kind of embarrassed because you're, the person sitting next to you continues to talk over everyone and chew with their mouth open. But that's what hospitality is. It's inviting anyone and everyone that would come. Hospitality makes room for low quality experiences because it's more focused on the people than the needing to fit the expectation. So uh, a few years ago, Sarah grabbed a hold of this, of this phrase uh, because we, we knew we wanted to cultivate community and have people over for meals and have a group that just on Sunday nights when we felt like we're just, we're kind of done for the day, but we still like, that's a good time for a lot of people because they're, we're still in church brain in a lot of ways and they have space and things like that. So we decided we're going to have people over, but we made the stipulation uh, that we're going to invite people into crappy hospitality because we just wanted to set the bar like really low. We're just going to have you over, and I, I, want you, I don't want you to get your, your expectations very high, but I want you to bring something. Or if you're a student and you can't afford anything, there's always dishes to do at the end, right? Like everyone in, in this, this practice of radical, ordinary hospitality has something to contribute. And it doesn't have, have to be filet mignon or, or ribeye or, or a full-sized turkey. Like everyone has something to give because everyone can be a part of the conversation, and so we wanted people to know, you're welcome to come over, but you have to understand that there will be a cat that will stock your plate, so you have to keep it covered at all times. And you need to know that there will be our oldest son that will challenge you to Fortnite and talk trash the entire time. And you need to understand that there will be an excited little boy that wants to show you his room and all of his artwork and all of his stuffed animals. If you can handle that, you are welcome in our space. And it was crappy and it was wonderful. People needed to know, yeah, our kitchen renovation kind of stalled out a year ago, and that's just where it is. I hope you are okay with that. I hope you're okay. None of this is Instagrammable. I hope you're okay with that. You might drive right by the place if it's too dark because our, our uh, uh, signage isn't that bright, so you have to know exactly where you're going. Welcome to our world. This is real life for us. And it was a wonderful time of hospitality, getting to know people, inviting people into our space. And we filled both levels of our home up with laughs and, and crying. And, and it was just lots of storytelling. It was wonderful. While entertainment keeps track and insists like, hey, next time it's our place. Because we've just got to be even and owe nothing to anyone in that way. Hospitality blurs the line between host and between guests. It says, everyone has something to offer, so let's, let's pitch in and live this out together. We, we come to contribute as much as we consume what's offered, and Jesus did exactly this when he went places. Entertainment is about perfection. Hospitality is about messiness. Entertainment is about high expectations. Hospitality is come as you are. You'll be loved just like that. Okay. The practice of hospitality demolishes our preferences for who we would rather spend time with because we're most comfortable with them. Entertainment avoids places that annoy us like loud babies, people who chew with their mouth open, and frids who don't add to our brand or our platform. So one final thought. Lance Ford and Alan Hurst said this in their book. Uh, if every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around a table once a week to neighbors, we would eat our way into the kingdom of God. So here is, here's my invitation to you. Here's the great welcome 
that we, most of us, many of us have already experienced from God. How can I join with a group and practice radically ordinary hospitality? I, I believe that we all have this desire to be in a community that shares life together in this way, where no matter how high our week has been or how low it has gotten, that we are welcomed to share in life together. So now, I'm gonna have the worship team start to come up. I have one very exciting thing I wanna tell you about before I transition off. Next week, we have a brand new message series that we're gonna start uh, for most of the fall. And I just, I wanna share it with you because I'm really excited. We have actually a video if you wanna turn your attention there. So next Sunday, we are starting a series called Radical Jesus, where we are going to talk about how to talk about hard things in our culture. Pastor Ben is going to start it off by just uh, setting a context and and bringing up some of these issues that raise the heat. We think it's going to be phenomenal because in, in our culture that pushes us to the extremes, we want to walk the radical way of Jesus together and invite people from every background, every perspective to come and follow Jesus as well. So my hope is that you will walk through this with us through the entirety of the series. We are going to talk about things like refugees and vaccines and consumerism and so on. And I hope, I hope that you can come and you can come with your friends or your family, that you come with people to learn with us how to talk about these things. It's less about landing exactly like where we went land on every single issue. It's mostly about looking at the perspectives and saying this is the way of Jesus walking this out together. Does that sound good? Does that sound a little intimidating? Can you imagine actually preaching a message on this? Yeah, we know. So anyway, why don't you stand with us and get really excited. This is, it's gonna be a phenomenal, phenomenal time. Uh, And you don't want to miss Ben preaching next week. I think he's going to do a great job setting the context. Let's, uh, Let's go ahead and just enter back into God's presence. Let's bow our heads and invite him to do his work in us, okay? So, Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for life together. We thank you that you've made a way, Jesus, that we could sit and fellowship with you and with each other, that you bring reconciliation, that you bring restoration, And Jesus, we ask that you would give us grace to walk this out in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, and so on, God. Please give us grace to know how to do this, wisdom to know how to do this, God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.